Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm Pastor Carrick Butler II. I lead Faith Christian Center in Austell, Georgia. Thanks for tuning in today. I believe today's message will encourage you, inspire you, help you live a life that makes Jesus famous in every area of your life. And as a result of this message, I believe something good is going to happen in your life as you listen and as you apply it. So listen up. Here's today's message. Amen. So I take eyes to see. I take ears to hear. I forgive everybody of everything. I receive supernatural debt cancellation. The word of God that I'm about to receive will enable me and empower me to make Jesus famous in my everyday life. You may be seated. Open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 2. On Wednesday nights, we're doing our walkthrough of the book of Acts, verse by verse study. Acts chapter 2. This is part three. If you missed any of our series so far, you can go catch up on YouTube, as well as on our podcast, as well as on Spotify, as well as on our website. We put all of our messages online for free. Acts chapter 2. In the first week, we looked at part of chapter 1, as well as different themes you see throughout the book of Acts. We looked at who wrote it, why they wrote it, the type of language used when writing this book. We continued our study through chapter 1 in the second week and got to... Chapter 2, verse 4, but we're going to back up to chapter 2, verse 2 tonight. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. If you ever want to see a move of God in your life, make sure you get the sound of heaven first. Because the sound of heaven precedes God moving on the earth. The sound of heaven is also the word of God. So if you want to see something happen in life, you need to speak the word first. Because the word came from heaven. So we see there's a sound that came from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. It said it was a rushing mighty wind. It said it sounded like. Luke, in all of his experience, could only write that it sounded as loud as a gale force wind, and it filled the house. It reverberated through the entire house, that every single cell of their body felt and heard this loud noise. And there appeared unto them, we said, distributing tongues of fire, that the fire appeared and it began to distribute itself, and each person got their own tongue of fire, and it sat upon them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now we see in verse 5, And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noise abroad, what was noise abroad? They heard two things. They heard this loud sound. Now you got to think, if everybody's living in these close quarters or around this area in Jerusalem, it is a festival. It is a feast. There are people who are in town for this holiday. There are people who are out on the streets celebrating. This is a yearly feast for the Jews. And if you're there just on normal, enjoying being outside with your family, enjoying the holiday, and all of a sudden there is this loud noise that you've never heard before. Because remember, this is back in the day. No one's heard an explosion before. No one's heard a rocket take off. No one's heard some of these loud noises that we're just used to in our day and time. So this is one of the loudest things people have ever heard and go, what is going on? What caused that noise? So, of course, that noise began to draw the curious. But also people who were closer, if it wasn't the noise that got their attention, it was these 120 people speaking in different languages. And they knew who was gathered there because they could say, aren't these all Galileans? So they knew who was there, but now they're drawn because of the noise that came from heaven and the sound of all of these different people speaking in these various different languages. Because they all heard the language where they were from. Now, think about this. 
Because this is not just praying your heaven language, it's also another manifestation of the Holy Ghost that's included in the diversity of tongues you see in 1 Corinthians 12, is that it doesn't matter who was there. They heard them speak their language. So it doesn't matter where they were from, they heard the language, and some translations as the dialect of the area they grew up in. So you think about even in America, although a majority of people here speak English and there's other second and third languages people speak, we all have different dialects. So think about it. There's some people on the, in the, on the eastern part of this, of this nation that although it's English, but you speak to somebody on the western part, they're going, what in the world did they just say? As well as the southern and northern parts. So it doesn't matter. So let's say if you grew up in Maryland, you would hear the message in that dialect, in that accent. If you grew up in the south, that's how you heard it. So the Holy Ghost is speaking through these people exact language and dialect. So this is more than them just being baptized in the Holy Ghost and speaking in other tongues as we're familiar with. It is also another manifestation of the Spirit called diversity of tongues. That this is a supernatural event. At this moment, they all hear what the Holy Ghost is saying. And they said, they were all amazed and marveled. And saying one to another, behold, are not all these who speak Galileans? Aren't they all from Galilee? How do they know all these languages? How do they know these dialects? How do we, every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born? And so then they list where they're from. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and dwellers in Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and parts of Libya and Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. So what are they saying? They're praising God, talking about how wonderful he is, talking about his wonders and his power and his goodness. But the thing is, if you just read over those areas, unless you're a student of history, you go, okay, cool, they're all from these areas. It doesn't mean much. But I looked up all these different places. When they're saying Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, it means they're from Iran. These are Iranians. Parthians, Medes, and Elamites are from modern-day Iran. Dwellers of Mesopotamia, those are people from Iraq, Kuwait, and northern Saudi Arabia, and eastern Syria. If you're from dwellers of Mesopotamia, that includes modern-day Iraq, Kuwait, northern Saudi Arabia, and eastern Syria. Now, when they said Asia, Cappadocia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, and Pontus, they're talking about modern-day Turkey. So when you read through the book of Acts, you see Asia, Asia, Asia. It's not thinking about Asia in our own modern understanding when we think of China and areas around there. When you see New Testament Asia, they're talking about modern-day Turkey. Arabians, that includes Saudi Arabia, of course, Oman, Yemen, and the Arabian Peninsula. Saudi Arabia, Oman, Yemen, and the Arabian Peninsula. Then you see people from Rome, of course, Italy. You see Cretans, as people from the island of Crete, and other people throughout the Roman Empire. Of course, Judea is where they are. But notice, this is a multicultural crowd. On the day of Pentecost, there were Jews and proselytes from the Middle East, Europe, and Africa. Now, if they're proselytes, they're not naturally born Jews. These are Jewish converts. So they're from these areas, different races from Africa, the Middle East, and Europe who had converted to Judaism who happened to be in Jerusalem at that day. So that is a multicultural crowd. They don't all look the same. They're all different, various shades, speak various different languages. The only thing they had in common is they believed in the one true God. And they happen to be there, and they hear this sound, and they come closer, and they hear everybody speaking in the language where they grew up, and the language where they are born, in the dialect where they are born, the wonderful works of God. 
And then it continues. And they're all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, what does this mean? They're all talking among themselves. What's going on here? What does this mean? So the people who are more prone to believe it was something good, like, well, what does it mean? But others were mocking to say, these men are drunk. They're full of new wine. Now, you don't say people are full of new wine because they can speak in many different languages. If you pulled up to the United Nations and you heard people speak in different languages, your first thing is, oh, they're drunk. No. You only say someone is drunk if they are exhibiting traits of a drunk person. So if they're stumbling around, if they're laughing, if someone's falling on the ground, laughing at someone falling on the ground, it's like, oh, they must be drunk. Because one of the things, part of this festival of Shavuot, which is in the Hebrew tongue, or Pentecost, as we know in Greek, is there were different offerings that were offered. There was burnt offering, but there was also a drink offering of wine, which was poured out with the burnt offering when it was consumed. So they may be thinking in their mind, well, instead of taking their offering to the temple, they decided to sip a little bit before they got to the temple today. That's why they're acting like they're drunk. That's why they, they're walking back and forth. Yeah, they may be saying good things, but they're drunk. This is in their mindset. But think about it. If on Pentecost, the custom was for thousands of years to offer up a burnt offering as well as a drink offering poured out mixed with a burnt offering. On this Pentecost, God said, for thousands of years, y'all been doing a burnt offering. For thousands of years, you've been pouring out wine. But on this Pentecost, I'm pouring out my wine. On this Pentecost, I'm pouring out my fire. Y'all been doing something for thousands of years, but my turn. And so while they're talking about all this, Peter and the rest of the 120 are upstairs. But Peter stands up, so either he was sitting down or knocked down by the power of God. And begins to, and begins to say, you men of Judea and all you that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you and listen to what I got to say. Hearken to my words. These are not drunk like you think, seeing it is only 9 a.m. To us today, okay, and someone's drunk at 9 a.m. doesn't mean anything. But back then, it was something if you're drunk at 9 a.m. So notice how Peter begins to defend his sermon. One of the things we'll do in this series is we're going to look at the sermons of Peter and Paul and others and begin to break them down. Because one of the things you'll begin to see as you study the different sermons, you see their strategy. Because one of the things you'll see when Paul preaches to the Jews, he preaches a different way. When he preaches to the Gentiles, he preaches a different way. You see the strategy. So we're going to break up Peter's sermon into these different parts. Peter begins his message defending the move of the Holy Ghost. The move of the Holy Ghost drew all these people. Some people had no idea what it meant. Some of us have been in moves of the Holy Ghost in this church and in others where God does stuff that if you're newer to that, you're just staring going, what in the world is going on? Why did that person fall down? Why did that person run? Why is that person laughing like that? They have these questions. Even newer to these things, you have a whole bunch of questions. And they had a whole bunch of questions. Some people are like, what's going on? What does this mean? Other people think they're crazy. So Peter begins his message defending the move of the Holy Ghost, which drew them in. Now, although they had all different opinions, they didn't leave. They were just watching. So Peter begins to defend the move of the Holy Ghost. And then he begins to quote from the Old Testament. Now, remember that up to this time, the only scripture they had was the Old Testament. The New Testament, they are living. It hasn't been written down yet. Although for the last three plus years, they walk with Jesus, but people didn't write that down. They don't have any scriptures but the Old Testament. This is all they knew. So one of the things we looked in Acts chapter 1 is one of the things they did in those 10 days of prayer. They prayed, but they also got into the Word. They looked at different things to figure out what to do because all they had was the Old Testament scrolls. And they could remember what Jesus told them to do. So they're operating from memory of what Jesus said and the written things they have from the Old Testament. So Peter begins to quote from the prophet Joel in the Old Testament, 
So this basically what you're seeing is really in the Bible. This was spoken by the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass in the last days, saith God. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. So one of the things Peter makes clear to those who read the book of Acts today is that the last days began and the ending days are the days of Jesus. The last days, when we study out eschatology, and one day I'll do an eschatology series and explain different things. The last days is a larger period of time. The last days last a little bit over 2,000 years. The end days, or the end of time, is the small sliver of time that exists at the end of the last days. So Peter's announcing that everyone, listen to me, you are in the last days. We've read the scripture in synagogue for years and centuries that in the last days, God was going to pour out his spirit. Welcome to the last days and welcome to the outpouring. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And all my servants and all my handmaidens I'll pour out on those days of my spirit and they shall prophesy. Notice what it's saying here. Nobody is going to miss out on the outpouring. Whether you are old, whether you are young, whether you are male, whether you are female, whether you have a position people call you a servant, or whether you are rich, nobody's going to miss out on the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. So notice what Joel is saying. This is for everybody. This is not for a few people. Notice he didn't even say this is just for the Jews. He said all flesh. See, sometimes your revelation is ahead of where your mind is. Because one of the things you'll see in the book of Acts, you'll see them proclaim these great truths of revelation. It's for everybody. Everybody should be saved. Every nation, every tribe, every tongue. And then they get outside the move of the Holy Ghost and say, well, nope, just for the Jews. See, what Peter's proclaiming by the Spirit is more revelation than he knew of. It will take him chapters to get the fullness of this revelation. So sometimes your revelation is more advanced than your mental knowledge. And you have to play catch up. One of the things you'll see in the book of Acts, they're playing catch-up all the time. Because there's a lot of things they just don't know. You say, they're like, well, what are you going to do? I don't know. Let's go pray. We don't know. Remember, some of them were businessmen as fishermen. Some of them were tax collectors. What do they know about starting a church? What do they know about being apostles? Only thing they had watched from Jesus for those three years and those 40 days after he was raised from the dead. So they're figuring things out as they go. And so Peter begins to proclaim this by the Spirit. And then he goes on and says, I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord shall come. And it shall come, come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Another revelation that was further than what he knew at this moment. If anybody calls on the name of the Lord, they'll be saved. He didn't say if any Jew calls on the name of the Lord or any convert to Judaism calls on the name of the Lord. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord, whoever calls on the name of the one who's the supreme in authority shall be saved. One of the things you see throughout the book of Acts is when people are trying to keep the gospel to themselves, but Jesus keeps saying, everybody, everywhere, come. It took Paul to really push out this revelation. It took Paul getting to Peter's face to push his revelation. It took Paul saying, y'all crazy. We're about to go handle this right now to get this revelation. Paul kept pushing it. He kept saying, this is for everybody under the sun. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever. Doesn't matter how bad their life has been up to this point. Doesn't matter if they weren't good Christian people, good church people. Doesn't matter anybody in your family think that, no, God can't touch them. God can't save them. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
Doesn't matter if you think they should be saved. Doesn't think if you think it's possible shall be saved. The prophet already said, if you call on Jesus, you shall be saved. Jesus even said in the gospel, they come to me, I'm not going to turn them away. You see it in the life of the apostle Paul as we see as we study the book as he was a terrorist. He killed Christians. He jailed Christians. He was zealous for doing it. But when he called Jesus Lord, God never brought up his past again. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So stop thinking that it's too late for your family member to get saved. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So Peter continues the message. He goes in the Old Testament and begins to point to Jesus. He brings the Old Testament scriptures to the point where he's talking to Jesus, but not just talking about Jesus as a historical figure or someone from the Bible. Remember, all these people probably heard Jesus preach at least one time before. They're in Jerusalem. Jesus just ascended 10 days ago. He was just crucified 50, 53 days ago. They have lived there for the last few years. They've heard him preach. They've seen him. They've seen him do miracles. They are familiar with the ministry of Jesus. Jesus was the most popular preacher of that day. And the second most popular preacher was his, little, was his big cousin. They are very familiar with Jesus of Nazareth, or as they called him, Jesus Bar Joseph, or Jesus, son of Joseph. They're very familiar about him. They heard all the different rumors that he died, but they, they say, well, some people say he's raised from the dead, but the Jewish leaders began to spread out a rumor, says, oh, no, he didn't ra- was not raised from the dead. The apostles came, and well, they were thugs. They knocked the people out when they fell asleep and stole Jesus' body. So they've all heard this. So they're bringing the message to where they are, bringing the message to what they can understand and what they can see. You men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you. You saw this by miracles and wonders and signs. You saw this man by the power of God do miracles, do signs, do wonders. He did such things that caused you, everyone in here, to stand and all go, how did he do that? Everyone in there, you had some conversation about this Jesus. You know who I'm talking about. This wasn't just something done in a corner, hidden away. You all saw what happened. You all heard about what happened. Which God did by him in the midst of you. Point out again. As you yourselves also know him, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. So notice, he's now correcting the spin of the religious leaders. God already planned this, but you did it. You convinced the Romans to use their wicked hands to kill him, to crucify him. But God already planned this, so you played into the plan of God. So now he's bringing Old Testament truths and cultural opinions together. Making it very clear. God raised him up. So he really is alive. We didn't steal his body. Because it was not possible, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held of it. So he's saying, Jesus got up because God raised him up because it wasn't possible for death to hold him down. So notice, Peter is preaching this message to thousands of people. They had already been gathered because the Holy Ghost did something new they'd never seen before. And now Peter is drawing them in. See, Peter once again goes to the Old Testament. But this time he goes to the book of Psalms. 
Now, one of the things you understand when you read through the book of Acts, Psalms is the most quoted Old Testament book in the book of Acts. Psalms is the most quoted Old Testament book in the book of Acts. So Psalms for them wasn't just a few prophetic passages, a few songs. It was important to the life of the church. You see, even Jesus quoted through Deuteronomy and Psalms the most through his ministry. So the book of Psalms was very important to the early church. For David speaks concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. Neither will you suffer your, or allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You shall make me full of joy with your countenance. Verse 29. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David. Because a lot of people have read that scripture, if they read it on their own, read it in synagogue, think, oh, David is talking about himself. But Peter brings revelation. He says, our patriarch, our father David, he is both dead and buried. And there's his tomb over there. Because we read it all. Oh, is the tomb of David still there? We like, oh, look, it's all away. He knew exactly where it was. Probably not too far from where he was. He probably pointed. His sepulcher, his tomb is right over there. He's still inside. But David, although he was a king, although he was also a prophet, knowing that God had sworn an oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. David knew it, so you need to know it too. He seen this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell. So notice he points out, Jesus died and he went to hell. A lot of people get squirrely about, well, did Jesus really go to hell? Well, if Jesus didn't go to hell, somebody else got to go. Because because of our sins, we are all headed there, but Jesus went so we don't have to go. One of the things you part of you read some of the early confessions of the early church, part of the early confessions was that Jesus died and went to hell. Jesus paid the full price. He became sin for us. He went to hell for us. But on the third day, God raised him up. He died for our sins, but was raised again for our justification, for us to be declared not guilty. His soul was not left in him, neither his flesh to see corruption. He wasn't dead long enough for his body to decay and to corrupt. This Jesus has God raised up where we are all witnesses. All 120 people in this room, we saw him. You could probably get away if you think it was just me and my crew of 10. But we all saw him. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost. So people are like, well, where did he go? He ascended to the heaven and he's sitting down at the right hand of God. Right hand was positioned of power, of privilege, of might. So he said, well, where is this Jesus now? He's on the right hand of God that you guys all gathered to worship. And as he's sitting on the right hand, he received the promise of the Father, the Holy Ghost. Now that he received the promise, he sent it to us. He shed forth this, he poured this out, which you now see and hear. For David is not ascended to the heavens, but he said himself, the Lord said unto my Lord. So notice David's not talking about himself. David is, in this psalm, David said, the Lord said to my Lord, they're both my Lord. Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy fools your footstool. Therefore, let all the his house of Israel know assuredly that God has made the same Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. 
So Jesus is not just Jesus of Nazareth, whom you called him, Jesus the son of Joseph. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is supreme in authority. Jesus is the one that David called my Lord. The king that you revered, King David, that said, oh man, King David is the greatest king who ever lived. That king calls our Jesus Lord. Notice the impact to Jewish ears. They revered David forever. They still do. That king calls Jesus Lord. But that Lord is also Christ, Messiah, the anointed one. The one we've been talking about for thousands of years who come, he came, he died, he got back up again, he ascended to heaven. This is that Jesus. Now when they heard this, what was the response of the thousands there? They were pricked in their heart. They were convicted. Because they knew this wasn't something new to them. They all understood what had happened now. And said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Okay, now if everything you said is true, what do we do now? You said Jesus is gone. What are we supposed to do now? Then Peter said unto them, repent, which means to turn, change your mind, go the other direction, change your ways and your mind, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Now, why is he telling them to be baptized specifically in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins? Remember, these are devout Jews. These are Jews who follow the law. These aren't just backs, these aren't backslidden Jews. These are those who follow God. A lot of them have probably been baptized in the ministry of John the Baptist. And John's baptism was different than the baptism Jesus told the apostles to do. Jesus told them to preach everywhere, and after you get people saved, get them baptized. You see that in Mark 16 as well as Matthew 28. So he tells them to get baptized, and now repent, turn. This part of believe in Jesus, turn from your ways right now. Follow him. Be baptized. And then what does he say next? And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So notice it wasn't just being saved and repenting was enough. Being baptized wasn't enough. He says, you need to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You see him on the 120 of us, all you need him too. So from the very beginning of the church, it was the mission of the church to get everybody who joins the church filled with the Holy Ghost, to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For he says, for the promises unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So notice the revelation once again past the current understanding. Because he says, the Holy Ghost is for the house of Israel, for your descendants, for all the Jews who are far off, and as many as our Lord shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. So Peter kept on preaching. So we got the first part, but he kept going. He kept preaching. He kept testifying. He kept encouraging. He kept going on and on preaching about what they should do. Don't follow this generation that was in on killing Jesus. Don't follow these religious leaders who Jesus called whitewashed tombs. Woo, what a declaration. Jesus said, you cleaned up on the inside, but you're dead on the inside. Then he said, you're like a dirty cup that's clean on the outside, but dirty on the inside that people drink out of. So he's telling them, save yourself from this backslidden, backward generation. Turn from this and follow Jesus. And what was the result? Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. So that lets you know not everybody in that crowd received. Some people said, oh, yes, I believe. Other people like, oh, well, maybe later. Other people like, that dude is crazy. Not everybody in that crowd got saved, but a large number of them did. But you know, they all left talking about what happened that day. 
You know, you don't forget that the next day or a couple days later. That stays in my mind, that loud sound and all those crazy people talking those different languages. You remember that day? Yeah, I remember that day. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. So imagine this. Now these 120 people are going to work because they weren't all ministers. You have 12 apostles. You have Jesus' little brother who becomes the pastor of the church of Jerusalem. You have Jesus' mama. You have Jesus' other brothers and a whole bunch of other people who have followed the ministry of Jesus. But now it says the same day that were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they all got baptized that day. So how long do you think it was going to take 12 people to baptize 3,000 people? So it wasn't just the 12, it was all the 120. Come on, people, oh, where are we going to go? All right, to the river, let's go. So now they all go to work for the purpose of Jesus. So now understand about the church now. There's the 120. There's the 3,000 who just joined. And there are nearly 400 other people that Jesus appeared to that weren't present on Pentecost. So there is now over 3,500 people in this Jesus movement. Because it was never supposed to be confined to one building. It was always supposed to be a movement. So what did this movement of Jesus followers do? And they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Often when we read through the book of Acts and study the early church, we point out the move of the Holy Ghost, and we should. It is true that the book is full of faith experiences and the acts of the Holy Ghost. But there's something also we often overlook. It says the early church continued steadfastly. To continue steadfastly means to be devoted to, to persevere, and not faint. So it doesn't mean you do this once. So, oh, this was nice. I'll do it again next year. No, there's something you continue to do and you don't give up. Devotion is to love, loyalty, or enthusiasm for a person, activity, or cause. It is the use of time, money, energy, and et cetera for a particular purpose. It is zealous or ardent in attachment, loyalty, and affection. So what do they continue to steadfastly or in love and loyalty and enthusiasm with zeal using their money and energy for? The apostles' doctrine. That simply means teaching. So whenever the apostles would teach, they were there. They would get the word, get the word, get the word. Because remember, these 3,000 people, they may have heard a few of Jesus' messages. They may have heard of one, or they may have just heard about them in the news. They don't know anything. So when the apostles get up to teach, they're there, they're learning, they're growing. They're so passionate about the word of God or being taught the word. But then it also says fellowship. Fellowship means partnership. So they were zealous about getting the word, but they're also zealous and energetic, enthusiastic about partnering with the cause of the church. The early church was devoted to what the apostles taught, meaning they came to hear and were excited about the word, and they went to do the word, and they came back for more. The early church was also dedicated to the partnership with the mission and with each other. Because it says next, and in breaking of bread and in prayers. They were dedicated to doing life together and spent time together sharing meals. So they didn't just come to church, heard the word, oh, that was great. Let's make sure we do the word. See y'all next week. They actually formed relationships within the church. They shared meals together. They spent time together. They did life together. So it wasn't just, okay, there's the 12 apostles, then there's the other 108 people that were there on the day of Pentecost. There was the 3,000 that broke up in groups. No, they did life together. They were connected together. They didn't slip in church and raise up the Baptist finger and walk out before it's dismissed so you can be, be, be trapped. So, oh, I don't want to be in line with all the mules and camels and donkeys. I got to get out before everyone else, I'm hungry. They did life together. 
They connected. The early church was also devoted to praying. They prayed individually, and they came together to pray. This wasn't an option, okay, well, let's pray when we go to church. No, of course we're going to pray when we go to church, but we're going to pray every day. They were enthusiastic about prayer. Remember, they all just got filled with the Holy Ghost. They're enthusiastic about praying in tongues. Woo, this is neat. No one ever did it before. They're enthusiastic about the gift of the Holy Ghost and coming together and praying. They're enthusiastic about these four things. This is what they continue to do. This is what they did all the time. They persevered and didn't faint. This is what they did all the time. This is a multicultural church that had a mission from Jesus to go everywhere. So when you think about it, just in that crowd, you have the majority of the Middle East covered with those who are represented right there. Then you have Libya and Egypt, that's North Africa, covered. You have Rome covered. You have other places in Turkey covered, parts of Europe covered. But remember, what did Jesus tell them to do? Stay here, receive the Holy Ghost, and then be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. So there was a time for them where they needed to camp out together in Jerusalem, get fed, understand what they're doing. But afterwards, it's time to go. Afterwards, it's time to spread. One of the things we'll learn as we keep walking through the chapters, they never left. They're like, man, you would think, well, why would you leave? The Holy Ghost was poured out. There's Peter right there. There's John right there. There's James right there. There's Jesus' mama. You know, there's Jesus' brothers. Why would I leave? Think about it. Why would you leave? That, you know, you could think, well, man, I can go get a latte with Mary right now. So, Mary, how was it when Jesus was growing up? Tell me, what was going on? Man, I can have steak with James tonight. What's going on? Why would you leave? This is comfortable. This is home. This is Jerusalem. Why would you want to leave? But the mission wasn't to stay there. The mission was to go. And if they obeyed, that Middle East would have been changed quicker than it was. North Africa would have been affected quicker than it was. Europe would have been affected quicker than it was. They would have been laid the foundation before Paul ever joined the team. But they just stayed. The mission of the church was always to be multicultural. It was always supposed to be every nation, every tribe, every tongue. But they were comfortable with their crew. With those who looked like them, those who acted like them, those who lived them, they were comfortable. And we'll see later as we get to it, because when they never went out to fulfill the mission, they, were, they entered into disobedience. And when they entered into disobedience, they opened the door for Satan to attack. And when that door was open, they were persecuted, and so they were scattered. And then they began to do what Jesus told them to do. Well, if we have to leave, might as well preach as we go. But it was never supposed to be for Satan to be their motivation. It was supposed to be these all people already spoke all these different languages. It was a time for them to get equipped and taught. Then it was a time now, take this where you're from. Go fill this whole area about what Jesus did. Because remember, they're all from these different areas. So there are already Jewish communities back home they already know. They got to start sharing with. There, some of them are already Gentiles. They could have gone back to different pagan areas. Say, yeah, don't, don't follow Zeus no more. No, Apollos ain't the way. Let me tell you about Jesus. But we have to understand that the mission of the Holy Ghost will take us outside of our comfort zones. Jesus already told him that when he said, you'll be witnesses to me in Samaria. Samaria was close to home, but it wasn't close in culture. It was a place the Jews and Samaritans had racial strife. The Jews considered the Samaritans half-breeds. 
because some they're part Jews, part whatever other race that mixed in. They also mixed Judaism with other pagan religions, so they had a mixed race and mixed belief system. So there was constant strife. You even see that in the Gospel of John when Jesus went by the well and he asked a Samaritan woman for a drink of water. He said, women, y'all don't even talk to me. How are you going to ask me for some water? So you see the strife that was already there. So Jesus is saying, you're about to overcome some cultural strife. You're about to overcome some cultural barriers. This is something they dealt with through the entire book of Acts. So you think racial issues, cultural issues are something new in the church? No, it's been there since day one. The Holy Ghost has been working on the church since day one to get over cultural issues and racism and be an example to the world. This is how you deal with it. Because remember, when Babel came, the languages were confused. They spread out because they weren't like each other anymore. But on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Ghost was given, and cultural barriers should have been overcome. So the thing is, we can't look to Washington and other places and say, well, how do we live in peace among different races? It's the job of the church. And we have to do the job. And so from the very beginning of the church, it was supposed to be multicultural. It's supposed to be overcoming racial barriers, overcoming cultural strife, and leading by example. And you see, even here, the revelation was greater than the current mental understanding because they kept saying, Jesus came for everybody. They really didn't fully understand it until when Paul got here. But we have to remember, Jesus came for everybody. Jesus loves everybody. Jesus is calling everybody. Not everybody will say yes, not everybody will answer. But it's our job to echo the message of Jesus. Hey, you are loved. You are valued. Jesus died and was risen for you. Will you say yes to him? We'll pick up with the rest next week. I hope you enjoyed today's broadcast. Connect with us on social media. Our handle is at WeAreFaithATL. Follow us online at FCCGA.com. If you want to support the ministry financially, you can text FCCGA to 73256 or give online. But most importantly, we never want to close a broadcast without giving the opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. So if you never pray this prayer, repeat after me. Meet it from the bottom of your heart. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he died for me, but on the third day, you raised him from the dead. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me now. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your spirit and help me to live this Christian life. If you pray that prayer, we believe you've been born again. So if you pray that prayer, let us know by connecting with us online or emailing us at info at FCCGA.com. Once again, thanks for tuning in today. We look forward to seeing you next time. Have an amazing day.